Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things on a victory Monday morning. The streak is over, Jeff Woody. Iowa State has won in the House of the Vampire Belt. Manhattan, Kansas, Bill Steiner Family Stadium, 33-20. to 20, A dominant performance for the Cyclones on Saturday night. And nothing weird happened. Nothing you know, weird happened at all. Nothing weird happened. I was expecting something. There is a, you know, rain was going to come in or there was going to be a streaker on the field or there's going to be a, an animal that runs in or a bird poops on somebody's house. Like nothing happened. That is the most enjoyable part of this is that it was as, it felt like watching the Oregon game. Uh, almost, you know, where the Iowa state executed to the point where even as Kansas state started to move, I mean, granted the, the first, that touchdown pass they threw that uh, they beat Kamani King on that one. You're like, Oh, uh-oh. They, there's still some things that can happen, but then they go on another drive. They score again. And from that point forward, you kind of went, well, this game is over. Everybody just here just needs to assume and accept the fact this game is over, even though, you know, there's four minutes to play in the second quarter kind of thing. So it was boring. It was efficient. And that though combine those two things together. It is super surprising that that happened in Manhattan. Uh, you want to know two things that are really good at preventing weird things from happening. Uh, going love- set, going 75 yards, basically untouched to the house on the very first play of the game generally helps. <laughs> Uh, I, was, uh, I went to a, went to a game watch party, uh, yeah. at, a, at my friend's house and I was trying to explain how that happens and what you, what your reaction is when that happens. Cause I don't think that we ever had it pop for 75, but where it, if it works so well, it's almost surprising because the, the first 10, let's call it t- eight or 10 plays. And I, I don't know exactly what number and what, what, what system each coaching staff uses. And I don't know what this coaching staff uses, but usually your first plays are very specifically chosen. The order of which might not be, you know, it might not be totally scripted with Herman for us. Uh, it was always the first 10 plays in a row, regardless of, I mean, depending on situation, if it's third and one, you're not going to run your third play, which is a, you know, whatever. So, pretty much your first 10 plays are scripted and those plays are scripted because you want to see how the opposing team is going to line up against specific fronts and how they're going to respond to specific movements. So if you want to see how are they going to follow, if we pull a guard and then move a tight end the other direction, what are they, what are they going to do to that? Because that tells you, and you're going to have a coach watch, you know, somebody up in the box, watch very specifically, watch the Mike linebacker when we run play number two. And they go, oh, Mike linebacker followed the guard. Then you go, great. I know what they're going to do now to most of the things that involve that particular action. Sometimes though, you watch something on film and you go, are they really doing this? There's, there's no way they line up to this like this. There's no way. If we just did this, it's going to hit. There's no way. And so you kind of just put that, you sprinkle that one in there and just hope that they line up the same incorrect way they've done before. And I'm sure because the way that Brees understands his blocking, I'm sure that when they got to their final alignment of whatever, because I think they motioned somebody in, I don't remember if it was Hufford or Charlie, it was they, Charlie. or uh, um, Russ or Charlie, um, but they, they, I'm, I'm sure as soon as they set up and Brees saw that front in his head, he was somewhere between, oh yeah. And really that you're, you're going to leave it that wide open. All of a sudden they run the play and it is perfect. And it, uh, you couldn't have drawn it up any better so yeah, I'm sure that the offensive staff was watching film and they went, 
what do you, what if we, there's no way they're going to make it this wrong. And then they made it that wrong. They ran the play, I think three or four s- snaps later, that almost exact same play and Kansas state adjusted to it. So they, uh, yeah, they just, the one time they got it, which was incredible. Uh, another thing that does a, a, goes a long way towards preventing weird things, uh, is a 18 play 93 yard drive that takes 10 minutes and two seconds off of the clock where you convert on five third downs during the drive, uh, to take a 27 to seven lead in the third quarter that prevents a lot of weird things when you can hold the ball for a third of the third quarter while you're already up two by thirds. two scores, two yeah. thirds of the, yeah, two thirds of the third quarter. So yeah, I, <laughs> I remember again at that game watch party, I went to go grab, you know, nachos or whatever and come back out. Uh, Cause there was you know, something boring was happening. Came back out and missed a, I don't know if I missed a play or not. I was like, is this the same, we have the same drive. Yeah. I feel like this drive has been going on for a very long time. And they throw, they, they almost, because even the broadcast team knew how weird it was that this drive is that long. And they start putting a little ticker up there to say how long that drive has actually taken. That is such a gut punch to a team trying to make a comeback. It's different if the, the game is tied or the you are down and you're making a 10 minute drive. But when you're leading by uh, already two scores, two or three, you're, when you're leading already by that amount and then you do that drive, that's just such a, a it, it sucks the energy out of the opposing team because you kind of then think, well, shoot, even if we score, even if they score, we'll hold them to a field goal. And then we turn around and score a touchdown. We're not going to see the ball for another hour and a half. That was, that was the best Iowa state drive of the season because of what the situation was and what they did to it. Yeah. And I, it was just like, it was perfect because, uh, it's what other teams have done to Iowa state in the past. It's what Kansas state has done to Iowa state in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like a, that's a Colin Klein drive. Mm-hmm. right there. That's a Iowa Hawkeyes drive in, in the Seahawks game. And, you know, they got the, I, I told Rob, I was like, man, I feel like if they can get a stop, I told this, told him this at halftime. I was like, if they get a stop right here and then can go down and score, you know, I feel like this thing will basically be over and it will deflate everybody. I mean, I don't think anybody could have anticipated it being that kind of drive though. You know, the, I would have accepted any feel, scoring drive. What did the crowd feel like as that drive was happening? I mean, I think that everybody had kind of started to understand like, man, this is going to be a tough sled, you know, to even battle back into the game. But you could just feel as the drive like went along each time there'd be a third down, it would be a little bit quieter, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I will say it was really loud before the first snap of the game. That's that I will say this and people kind of given me, you know, the old, the, the old heads at, in the, in the conference, you know, guy talked to a guy, play guy plays in like you know, 1997, 2001, somewhere in there in the McCartney era. And, uh, they're not old heads. They're just older than me. And, uh, I'll say one of the hardest places to play for me was in Manhattan. And it's not because, I mean, I think it was the total crowds, 50,000 or 52,000 like yeah, that. 48,368. So it's not huge. It's not that it's a big stadium. It's just built in a way that the sound reverberates and the fans are really smart there. They know when to be loud and how to be loud. And, uh, it, it is a, it is a, na- a really tough place to play just because of the volume. So yeah, you can continue. And I think it's gotten louder in there too, as they've made their additions to the stadium. Like now they have their new building on the end. I don't know if they had that when 
you had played there. I think the first time I went there, they were like just finishing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they've got that in the North end zone now. And you can just feel where, when it does get loud in there, that North end zone kind of traps sound in and it bounces back off of the glass windows Mm -hmm. in the North, in the North end zone. And, and then you've got the South end zone too, that kind of traps some sound in, but like, it is a really tough place to play. Like I said, like it was loud when Iowa state went out there for their first play. And I thought it was interesting to hear Brees where he talked about, like, I could hear how loud it was as we ran out there. And then, the second that I burst through the hole, it went dead silent. And he's like, I knew I had a big run at that point, you know? Uh-huh. And like, you don't hear players talk about noticing those kinds of things very uh-huh. often, but it was just, it was cool to hear him say like, I knew the second I burst through the hole that I had a touchdown because they're because of how quiet the crowd got right away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he's a, uh, it is one of those things. You don't really notice it when you're on the field. You're so focused on what's happening. You don't notice something unless it's huge to notice, you know, if there's, it's like that old psychology thing where, you know, the, the, you show it in like AP, AP psych when you're in mm-hmm. 11th grade and you're watching, say, Hey, count how many times they've dribbled a basketball. And then there's a guy in a gorilla suit that comes in. And if you're really focusing on counting the basketball the number of the dribbles, of the basketball, you don't see the guy in the gorilla suit and they show, Oh yeah, there's a gorilla suit. Well, holy crap. Well, if they just flash on that screen, uh, you know, a, they change the entire video and they just show a picture of a cat for five seconds and then go back to the basketball thing, you'd go, yeah, I saw the picture of the cat because it's large enough of a difference of what you were focusing on to what was actually happening. Uh, yeah, that would be a stark difference because <laughs> imagine being the other side, imagine being a Kansas state fan and, or, you know, in, in this situation, you're hosting Kansas state and they're the, the higher ranks or, you know, whatever they're the, the favorite They're whatever you're all amped up. And all of a sudden just the juice gets your legs get cut out from you underneath you in a second, that is going to be a huge drop. So yeah, it would be several orders of magnitude of decibels lower three seconds after he got the ball than when he started with it. Uh, I thought that, um, it, it's almost like if, uh, you know, like you go into a room every day and they have a jar of jelly beans you know, Mm -hmm. it's like every day when you go into the room, whoever is administering it has taken two jelly beans out, Mm -hmm. you know, you take two jelly beans out every day. And then one day you come in and they've taken out 200 jelly beans. Mm -hmm. And it's like every day, you don't notice that there's two jelly beans less, Mm -hmm. you know, but then that one day you walk in and there's 200 less and you're like, Oh my God, like, where did all the jelly beans go? You know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, we've been taking them out every day. It's just, you don't notice until there's a bunch of them taken out. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it, I thought that this might have been Brees's best game at Iowa state. Honestly, that's a bold claim, but it would also be hard to argue because I think that's his season. That's his career high in rushing yards had two rushing touchdowns had a what five receptions for 35 yards, something like yeah. that. So he had 230 all purpose yards and even remove the 75 yard touchdown run, he still has over hundred yards of total yardage. And that productivity with, and we talked right before we started Brock Purdy being able to have 20 to 25 pass attempts is his sweet spot where it's allowing the offense to run through Brees when he's that good. Then that lets Brock do whatever else he wants because they were Kansas state was hard focus on 28 hard. They were eight in the box. They are four yards off the ball. And even 
beyond that, if the, the running back is on the right side of the quarterback from as the offensive looks at it, he's likely going to moving across the quarterback's face to the left side of the offense or the defensive right side. So most of the time, if there is a powerful running back in the spread, they're going, or a dominant running back in the spread teams will wait the contra side to the running back. So if, as uh, if on this example, offensive right side is where he's standing, they're going to shade the offensive left side. They're going to go to that side. So they had a lot of guys in the box and they were hard sliding across to the opposite side of Brees. So they were saying, we don't want to let 28 beat us. And he still did, which that lets the rest of the offense do whatever they want through the entire time. Uh, another side note, cause we're not, I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time talking about Charlie today, but man, is it nice to have a healthy Charlie Kohler? Yeah. Some of the catches he made were unreal, dude. The one, the first catch that he had uh, where he had a defender draped over his back. And I, like, I still don't know how he caught the ball, honestly. And uh he had the defender draped over his back and then the guy, he stood up and the guy tried to slap the ball out of his hands. You remember which play I'm talking mm -hmm. about? I want to yeah. say it was like the second down on their second drive, but it was like, it was one of those things where you're just like, dude, like having that guy where, you know, if you get it in his general area, he's probably going to catch the ball. Well, and you, you know, can, even it, everybody knows it, everybody on the, it's third and six. Yeah. Where's the ball going? Where's 80, the ball going? Yeah. Where's 88 at? Where's 88? Third and six. Where's where's 88? That follow him. It's probably where the ball's going. And then unless they triple cover him, then somebody else is going to be open. Then Jalen Noel is going to be single covered on a safety. You know, that that's the difference that he makes is the comfort level to be able to convert those. Because I think I honestly think the, the statistic that changes everything for this or early part of the season towards the back half of the season outside of the obvious ones of turnovers and special teams. If you're really bad in turnovers and you're really bad in special teams, it doesn't really matter. You're not really going to be effective everywhere else. But the statistic that changes everything is third downs. I mean, they were, what are you saying? I think before they're eighth in the conference and third down percentage. And because of how effective they were against Kansas state, they bumped all the way up to third. That's how good they were on third downs. But imagine being able to convert this percentage of third downs against Iowa. What does that game look like? You're not in your own end zone all the time. You're able to move the ball down the field. You're holding the ball and, and giving yourself, you're giving your defense even more rest to be able to put more pressure on Spencer Petras. You give yourself the capacity. To, imagine having this third down percentage in the first half against Baylor, getting in the red zone and converting those into touchdowns. What are the, what difference does that make? That's how good this Iowa state offense is when they can convert that. And a large portion of this being able to convert their downs is having a healthy Charlie Kohler. So having a healthy Charlie Kohler plus a really good Brees Hall makes it a incredibly difficult offense to stop because they're capable of hitting a 75 yard touchdown and a 10 minute drive in the same game. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'm looking at it now during big 12 play. Iowa state is first in the league in total offense um, and second in the league or third in the league in third down conversions and fourth in opponent third down conversions. Like they've just been playing really good football, but I mean, it's crazy to think, you know, since that those first two games and we were all wondering like what's going on with Brees, you know, you could tell that he was just banged up. You couldn't, we just weren't seeing the same things that we were seeing from him last year. 
uh, I would say through the Iowa game. And in the four games since he's ran for a hundred yards, basically in a half, uh, 190 yards, 123 yards, again, basically in a half. And then 197 yards, he's got 610 yards, eight touchdowns on 95 carries for six and a half yards per carry. Like you're going to win a lot of football games when you've got your best tailback running for almost seven yards every time he touches the football. Yeah, and that's granted that's your two worst opponents in UNLV and Kansas for two of them, but that's also Baylor and Kansas State in Waco, Manhattan. So, yeah, it ain't bad. And the two, I think his two best games are arguably those two in the the a game against Baylor and a game against Kansas State. Now you look, we're not we're going to talk more about this Oklahoma State game after our break when we get there. But you look on Saturday. Oklahoma State is a team that has a propensity to turn the ball over. They're on the season. They're undefeated. Good for them, but they're minus one in total turnover margin on the year, which is not great. And you get a team that has the capacity to turn the ball over, and you have a team that has a running game and a capacity to convert third downs because they have Charlie and Chase and you're, you know, a comfortable, you have that offense. That becomes where Iowa State wants to be. That this, this offense is built when they are executing and the opponent is not to absolutely just suffocate the life out of the game. So yeah, having number 28 be really, really good makes everything better. Uh, I think there's a case to be made too, that Brock has been playing some of his best football. And I pulled the stats during his last four games. So since the Iowa game, again, uh, he's 82 of 104 for 79%. For 1,004 yards, nine touchdowns, one interception, averaging almost 10 yards per attempt, uh, 22 of 25 for 208 yards and touchdown on Saturday. I mean, you want to talk about a game where, like, I don't know that I remember a time where Brock looked more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, there were times last year where he looked really good and, like, you could tell that he was comfortable. But this was, like, the peak Brock. You know, mm-hmm. this was as good as I think we've seen Brock play in one single game. And, that, and, you know, I asked Coach Campbell that. I was like, I mean, he only had three incompletions, you know, he had the touchdown, didn't have any interceptions, no sacks. Like, is this as, is this as close to perfect game as what Brock Purdy can play? And, I mean, he more or less like, you know, Coach Campbell, I got watched film. To, he's like, mm-hmm. you can always get better and all these things. But he's like, yeah, he looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. And when you've got Brock Purdy operating at that kind of a level, on top of what you've got from Brees, this offense is, I don't care who you are. You're going to have a really hard time slowing down this offense. Yeah. And, and, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to that too, to the offensive line. Like I thought mm-hmm. that that group played a really good game collectively, you know, after the big touchdown run, it took a little bit for him to kind of get back to it. I remember there was a point when I texted you and it was like on a, I think it was on a third down, maybe their first third down of the second drive after the interception before they kicked the field goal. Uh, shout out to Andrew Mevis went four for four on field goals. Uh, but when, when they lined up for that play, they had eight men in the box. There was one receiver split or one receiver split out and a cornerback with him. His eyes were in the backfield. And then, uh, you had the two safeties about two yards behind the linebackers. So mm-hmm. more or less, you had 10 people in the box and one guy who was paying attention to the box while being split out. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and, and they were still able to run the ball effectively for the most part against that almost every time. And that's a, that is a mathematical near impossibility when you have that much, that high of a volume of people. But that's when you talk about complimentary football, it is 
that was in another just whole holistic picture of complimentary football that Iowa State played. Again, it felt like the Oregon game. It, it felt like one side is doing everything to I don't want to say pester because pester seems insignificant in the form, in the, in the grand scheme of the goal to bother and harass the other one out of the game they want to play. So Iowa state runs the ball effectively, whether or not it's a 75 yard run or whether it's a five yard run on first down, your second and five, both of those are, I mean, not equally effective, but they're both examples of being effective. It's converting on third downs against that it's having three incompletions. So whenever you drop back to pass, you're likely going to get something out of it. Uh, taking no sacks. It's the opposing defense, not giving up chunk plays other than, you know, here or there, an example it's special teams, getting the ball on the ground, kickoff coverage still wasn't great. Mevis miss hit the first two. Uh, but generally speaking, Kansas state had to work really hard on offense to get anything going. Yes. They ran the ball decently effectively out of certain fronts, which is something the state's probably going to watch because if you're, if I'm Oklahoma, if I'm Oklahoma state, if I'm Texas, I look at what was effective against this defense and Kansas state had a few effective plays. So they're going to go back to the, and make sure they got the, the, that accounted for, but either way, did Skylar Thompson ever look even remotely comfortable? No, because this, the, the complement of football happened. And the thing that we were describing, you know, see you, you asked at the end of the last pod, what do you, what do you want to see from special teams? It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to know that they're there. I do not want to think that I don't want, I want to forget what that was. How many punts did Iowa state have? The two. answer does, you don't, you don't have to necessarily yeah, two, but even if you didn't have the answer on hand, would you remember that they punted? No. Well, Perfect. I mean, I would because me and Rob kept talking about it when they would have to punt, but that's a whole other different conversation. But yeah, like the, if you didn't know how many punts they had, we get two, four, somewhere in there, whatever, but nothing happened. There was no risk of protection bust. There was no bad, you know, horrible punts. There's no big returns. There was nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened in special teams, which is exactly what you need to have from a coverage standpoint, and then Iowa State with Andrew Mevis with field goals outplayed them. So it was just complimentary football all the way around. And it, again, it was it was as well rounded of a win as Iowa State has had this season. Yeah. So Iowa State had nine drives and scored nine, uh, 33 points on those nine drives. They punted twice in the first quarter and then scored every time they had the ball after that. And it just took forever. Also, yeah. nine drives is substantially under average. I bet the average in the big 12 is 12, yeah. 12 ish drives per game. They had each team had three less because of that 10 minute drive. And there's another one that was like four and a half minutes or something like that. So you have basically a quarter of the game is in two drives. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, what, what were your general thoughts on the offensive line with the introduction of Jared Hufford into the starting lineup? It felt more aggressive a little bit where they Sean Foster is an aggressive dude. Like that's his natural kind of tendency, but aggressive in the right way in that you can go for it to try and waylay somebody knowing that your buddy's not going to screw it up versus just going for it for no good reason. You know, to, to take the basketball metaphor, if you have, uh, if you don't have any shooters in your team and you're a, a guy like a, you know, prime Derek Rose, where he's more going to the basket dribbling, you know, breaking somebody off the dribble, going to the basket and you don't have any shooters and you're trying to be super aggressive to the rim. Well, everybody's going to 
condense in on you because you don't have the team around you to necessarily trust, it's going to be really hard sledding. So your aggression there doesn't really make sense because it's not an effective thing. Now imagine you have two dead eye shooters that are in the corner. Well, the defense has to spread out and you can be really aggressive. And in that case, aggression is really good because it forces the defense into a wrong position. Same thing with the offensive line. If you're aggressive for aggression's sake, not knowing that if, if you are sacrificing the success of the team because of your aggression, because you want to go knock somebody out, but you're going to get out of your position, then that's not really an effective use of aggression versus if I know that the guy next to me is going to be in the right spot and withstand whatever miss that I have, then I can be aggressive in this direction because it's appropriate at the time that I'm doing it. And they did a lot of that. And so it was sort of the, the trust between them. I don't know if it was necessarily better. It looked better. Uh, it also was a pretty small sample size with the end of a couple drives in the Kansas game and just Kansas state. So it's a little bit of a small sample size and it, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it felt like they were more comfortable side to side to allow themselves to be that healthy type of aggressive. So it's, it, it was refreshing to see that they were able to do that and that more effectively or that, that more showed itself in the pass defense that they had than they did in the run or pass blocking than it did in run blocking, that, they're, that you're able to be aggressive in those situations. It just felt like they had considerably fewer noticeable breakdowns in blocking. Mm-hmm. And that's even when Kansas State was bringing heat a lot of the time, especially when they would get into obvious passing situations. And that's where, like I say with Brock, like Brock looked comfortable even when people were coming in his face, which is a you know, has been an up and down thing for him throughout his entire career at Iowa state. And there was never moments where you're like, man, Brock just looks like he's wild, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, it just felt like the offensive line was communicating much better where guys needed to be when they would see a blitz was going to be coming before the snap. Yeah. And it, it was, it was good to see cause, cause on that left side, then you got downing and you got Hufford. Those two guys play a very similar style of football, which is again, that healthy aggression is if you want to watch uh, Tyler Linderbaum for Iowa is the, probably the best offensive lineman in the country. And you watch him. If you just watch those three guys are kind of are cut from the same cloth where if you watch the end of the play, the whistle blows. And then there's still one dude that's pushing somebody. It doesn't really, really matter what direction. There's one dude that's pushing somebody because he wants to, I want to make you feel everything uncomfortable that you can emotionally uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable. You, I want to break your rib like that uncomfortable. And that's what they're trying to do induce in somebody else. So yeah, Downing and Hufford both have that, but you also have to, again, talk about the controlled aggression. You have to know when you can actually do that when you're locked on, when it's not going to be a holding, when you're not taking yourself out of position, but if you've got the chance to take a shot, go for it. And now you have those two guys side by side. That's not a fun position to be in. If you're a defensive player, because Let's say that there's a, a defensive end that's rushing Hufford. Hufford's going to take his pass set, be aggressive, and you'll punch like he needs to. Let's say there is a linebacker that did, showed blitz that was supposed to be Downing's guy but ended up dropping off. Well, Downing doesn't have any work now. Well, Hufford to his left is standing engaged with a defensive lineman. What's Downing going to go do? Absolutely take a pot shot to take, just hit that guy in the front and be really aggressive. What's that guy, that guy going to do his next pass rush once he gets hit super aggressively from a guy while he's being in a pass? He's going to have to slow down. 
He's going to keep his eyes to one side or the other because he can't trust being totally free in his, in what he's doing because Hufford's going to take a shot or Downing's going to take a shot. And you have this uh, uncomfortable aggression, both side by side on that side. So that to me, it, it changes knowing that they're going to be in the right spot and knowing that two super aggressive dudes, it changes it a little bit. If you can trust it and they can be consistent across. All right. Some statistics from the game notes that I thought really just jump out. Uh, head coach, Matt Campbell breaks the school record for most victories versus conference competition. This is wild. Okay. Matt Campbell is 28 and 20 against big 12 teams in his career at Iowa state breaking the previous school record set by Dan McCartney. Guess what Dan McCartney's career big 12 record was Jeff. I saw this one and I also thought it was absurd. I think if I remember the number right, he was 27 and 58, 27 and 68, 68. Sorry. Wrong, wrong tens digit. So had a 300 winning percentage and that was the previous win record. And Campbell has now done it with a winning record mm-hmm. in ba- in half as many games to win 28 games uh, against league opponents. That's remarkable. Nuts. nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. Uh, with, with this victory, Matt Campbell has a win over every big 12 opponent on the road. The only coach in school history to accomplish this feat. Also impressive. I think the one that we, we all want, is the Iowa game, but conference yeah. records, what we're talking about. Uh, this marks the sixth game this season and ninth straight game overall that Iowa state has outgained its opponent in a to- in a opponent in total yardage. Sorry. I kind of stumbled there. Uh, six straight games, nine straight games, uh, outgaining their opponent in total yards, which is crazy. Uh, Iowa state now has an average margin of total offense of plus 168.7 yards per game. Uh, and then the 10 minute drive was Iowa state's first since uh, 2002 against Florida state that game ended in a field goal. And it was the first 10 plus minute touchdown drive since 2001. So for the first time in 20 years, Iowa state had a 10 plus minute touchdown drive. Uh, another one, Brees hall over 100 yards from scrimmage for the 23rd time in his last 26 games. And the touchdown streak now goes to 18. Yeah. That's the fifth longest in the FBS since 1996. Not bad. And we still got half a season to go. Yeah. I want to know who the four in front of him are though. Like what, when would somebody have scored in 20 something plus consecutive games? You know, I, I wonder if it's somebody cause Ladanian Tomlinson had the single season record from when Brees broke it last year. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's something like Ladanian Tomlinson who had, you know, half of one season and a half of the next season or most of the next season. I bet it's something like that where it's gotta be, Somebody, somebody who is super dependable and super productive. And it also might be somebody from like ball state or I could see it being someone like uh, Monte ball or something from from Wisconsin. I mean, I think he's right. I think he was the NCAA's all-time leader in touchdowns when he finished his career. So it's like, I could, I could see that one being the case, but uh, man, I mean, I thought that this was as satisfying as a win as Iowa state had had in a long time. Obviously the opponent, makes a big difference. The fact that it was in Manhattan makes a difference, but it's like, if they come out against, a, you know, obviously Kansas state's Oh, and three now in the big 12, but that's a quality opponent. To have and to then, play. and they're Oh, and three against the three, arguably the three best teams in the conference. Cause their right. losses have come to Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, and Iowa state. Those are again, arguably the three best teams in the conference. You talk about going through the gauntlet. I think there's five uh, five teams make up the top half, a pretty clear top half. And there's a 
two team or two teams in the middle. There's a kind of a third tier with West Virginia and Texas tech. And then there's Kansas, which yeah. doesn't really count, but you look at Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Baylor, and Texas, those five, I think are pretty clearly better than the rest of the group. And then you have TCU uh, and Kansas state that are kind of in the middle, which could pick you off if you're not playing right. And then West Virginia and tech and then Kansas. So th- they've gotten through all but one of their top, you know, of that top half of the conference, they've gotten through all but one of them in the first three games of their season. So they're mm-hmm. going to end up fine. They're going to run. They're going to rip through the back half of this year because they get to play those lesser teams now. So Kansas state will end up being a pretty decent win by the time they're done, but they just got really unlucky to start the year. Uh, I do want to ask you though, like this was like borderline crisis level reactions to this loss for Kansas state. Like, I saw one of the Kansas state media members tweeting out Chris Kleiman's buyouts by year. Uh, th- it is worth noting. This was uh, Kansas state's eighth consecutive big 12 loss, which Ooh. is, is not good obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the natives are restless in Manhattan. They're like approaching fire Chris Kleiman territory. I think uh, if it continues, then yes, I think it's, it, it is justified if it continues. But uh, I, I don't know. Let's, let's hold off because if they win every game, let's say they win every game except Baylor for the rest of the year. They'd finish at what, five and four in the conference, which would probably put them good enough for fourth or fifth, get them yeah. to something, you know, a bowl like the Liberty Bowl or something like that. It, it's not ideal, but just relax for a second. Well, yeah, just it makes you sit and wonder, like, what are your expectation levels? Like, if you're expecting to win the Big 12 every year, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. I mean, Kansas state, even like during the bill Snyder's heyday, Kansas state was going to go through stretches where they'd go seven and five, Mm -hmm. three or four years in a row, you know? So like, that's just what I don't understand. The eight consecutive big 12 losses looks bad though. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's not good. That's where you, it's understandable a little bit why people would be frustrated. Yeah. And it's, I get it. I, I get the frustration, but at the same time, take a chill pill, go relax, have a cup of coffee. Think it's okay. We're we, this too shall pass. Just wait till next week. I love how you said relax and have a cup of coffee in the same sentence as if having a cup of coffee is going to make someone calm down. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't speed through a cup of coffee. You don't just like slug a cup of coffee if it's done right. Man, you've never hung out with Chris Williams. <laughs> so it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I bet he's already had two pots of coffee today. Yeah, his kidneys are going to just be gone. Gone. Yeah. Uh, all right. Your thoughts on the defense in this game? Uh this was an okay game for them. It was really well-rounded, but they weren't as dominant as you would expect. But at the same time, they were, I don't want to say good enough because that, that implies that it wasn't good, but good enough relative to their standards to play complimentary football, to allow the ends to shine this game, you know, cause in, in games past, it's been the defense is the show. Well, this time it was the offense actually being the show and they could play a complimentary role. Uh, Will McDonald had two more sacks and two forced fumbles. Uh, and Iwazurike had another sack. Those two together would be eighth in the conference in sacks. If they two were, if just those two were a team, they'd be eighth in the conference. And the way that they played, I mean, Aishim Young's a dog. And just, I, number one is a bad dude. Absolutely a bad dude that you do not want to come into contact with. But yeah, they were good enough. And it was a well-rounded for the most part defensive performance. There was a couple, I think it, it relatively similar structure in 
um, the way that they, that Kansas state ran the ball to get a, a couple of those pseudo explosive runs. It's going to be something they're definitely going to address, which is good to get those learning opportunities in a win and not get those learning opportunities in a loss. Um, one note that I thought was interesting is that Mike Rose and Jake Hummel, I think they, I was texting you earlier because Mike started, Mike Rose started inside at will linebacker for the first time in a while, but the more the game went on, it almost looked like they were just playing left and right side where if it, depending on the formation, because Kansas state, the way that they lined up made it. So either Hummel and Vance were the inside guys and Mike played outside or Mike and Vance were the inside guys and Hummel played outside because both of those, both Hummel and Mike Rose can play either Sam or will, and they know it like the back of their hand, you can kind of get away with that and communicate where you're going to be. So Mike Rose played more inside linebacker this week than he has in games past, which is something to, I don't know. I think that to me is more of a natural position for his body type. Uh, but the fact that you can do that and flex in between is good. Uh, just a note, actually, as we were just talking about coffee, uh, I just got a text from Mike, the our merch guy. Uh, Cyclones versus the world coffee mugs just got approved by trademarking. Jeff, you can see those mm -hmm. there. Uh, those sharp. are fantastic, aren't they? So everybody can relax with their coffee with uh, while still repping Cyclones versus the world here before too long. Yeah, and the, and the, and the, the thing that we can the thing that we can relax from with your Cyclones versus the or Cyclones versus the world coffee mug is the fact that Iowa State's still not ranked. Is that a bad thing? Not right now, necessarily. Is it I think a bad it, thing? I would have to think if the college football playoff poll came out this week, they would be ranked. Yeah. Well, and we looked at it. There's sort of a, there's an analytics version that actually this is where they are. Iowa state would fall 10th. In yeah. That. It, I, I pulled up the action networks power ratings and they were 10th. The one yeah. you pointed out was San Diego state, who is number 20 in the AP poll this week. Uh, they were 70th on the, uh, on these power ratings that I saw, I would say it would be a 13 and a half point favorite over San Diego state on a neutral field. So yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the rankings right now. Uh, I saw one person say like the, if you're not ranked, you're not going to get the net, net major TV coverage to go back to what Campbell said at the start of the year. Everybody wants to be around winners, beat Oklahoma state, beat Texas. What's going to happen. You got your, the rankings will sort themselves out right now. Iowa state is in the driver's seat for a big 12 championship berth. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teams that are in that position. Oklahoma state's in the driver's seat. Oklahoma's in the driver's seat. Baylor's in the driver's seat. Iowa state's in the driver's seat. Those four, if they win out, if any one of them wins, wins out, they're in the big 12 championship point blank period, end of story. So Iowa state's one of those teams that controls their own destiny towards winning that being in that position. So all you gotta do is worry about yourself. You're not going to rank, not going to be ranked. That's for us to be mad about as well. I mean, you win this weekend outside, you win this weekend, you're in the top at least the top 20 probably. Right. Yeah. Cause people, some people are going to lose. Some people are going to fall out, uh, depending on what respect Oklahoma state has. They seem like a team that's going to fall. If you lose to beat, regardless of how the loss goes, if Oklahoma state loses, they're going to go from eighth to like 19th. They're not going to go from eighth to seventh or eighth to 11th. They're going to go, they're going to fall hard at this point too. I don't know that being ranked is good because I think that we're on pace for a record number of losses by AP top 25 teams. I think that, that has to do with last year's weirdness. I think yeah. where the rankings are really hard to peg, who is the best, who are the best programs, who are the best teams. Well, last year was so weird that it's hard to carry over where the rankings are. Cause you and me both know the AP rankings are as subjective as subjective can get where some order who's, you know, lives in Boston 
who does not have the time nor the energy to watch all these teams. He's going to look at the rankings and go, uh, who was in it last week? All right. Who lost? Who was receiving votes? Who's another good team that I saw on TV when I was watching, when I was eating lunch and it was on in the break room. Oh, let's put them in there and they're going to be 25th. And that's really the, that's the way it gets assembled is once you're up there, you're just there. So yeah, Iowa state can take care of themselves by just winning. And if you win, the rankings will sort themselves out being ending the season. Where would this team be ranked? If Iowa state wins out, wins the big 12 championship. Again, this is a huge, if I'm not saying that it's going to happen It's a hypothetical world, if Iowa state were to win out and win the big 12 championship, they would be an 11 and two team with their only two losses being a combined 12 points against a ranked Baylor team and a ranked Iowa team. And they'd be a conference champion. That team's probably a top six or seven team. Yeah. They're fine. Yeah. And you're going to the sugar bowl. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. Not, not too concerned. All right. We'll take a break. I want to ask you some questions about uh, some of the other games across college football. Plus obviously talk about Oklahoma state. Uh, when we come back here on football and random things on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. Uh, all right. It was a pretty interesting weekend in college football again. Um, we're going to get to Oklahoma state and Texas and then talk about Iowa state and Oklahoma state coming up this weekend. But first things first, uh, the chickens came to roost, Jeff, the chickens have arrived and they are prepared to lay their eggs, uh, due to the happenings in Iowa city on Saturday. That is so in the, I don't remember what game it was for the channel five show that I do, uh, Hawk game day, 10 30 AM on Saturdays, tune in, uh, there was one time, I think it was before the Kansas game. Cause anyway, Iowa at that point was plus 12. It was after the Maryland game. They were plus 12 in turnover margin. And I think the sentiment that I expressed then was let's not say Iowa's not good because they are, they very much are. That defense is as good as there is in the country, but they're also hot because that is an unsustainable pace to be at plus 12 through five games. And the Iowa offense, especially in like the Maryland game where they had seven turnovers, if you have an average of say, again, 12 possessions per game and seven of your possessions are going to start off of a turnover, or they're just going to score, then that opposing offense can then function in a way different fashion. So they were good and hot. And I think it made a claim, which was at some point, they're not going to be able to get four turnovers in a game. It didn't happen and it didn't happen. And then it finally happened. And in that sentiment, I said, the offense is going to have to do something because they cannot exist in that hot state. I think the metaphor I used there too was Steph Curry shooting threes. If Steph has a, a sequence of three games in a row where he makes 65% of his three pointers, you don't look at Steph and go, he is exclusively lucky. You go, he's really good. And also hot right now. There's going to be a game where he shoots 30% from three because that's the law of averages. Iowa ran into the law of averages and their offense who has been bad all year, except for Tyler Goodson finally was to the point where they could not overcome their badness. And that was just a downward spiral of worse. They're going to be fine as the season goes along, unless teams learn from the Purdue tape, to how to attack this Iowa defense in a way that is just sustainable. Not everyone has David Bell. They don't. They did not. Everyone has that wide receiver, but eh, going forward, 
if they don't get some stuff corrected on the offense, that is a very hard back half of the year. Uh, you mean to tell me that every team left on uh, Iowa schedule, which I think is a list that includes Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, and uh, who's, I don't even remember who the last one is. It doesn't matter. Northwestern. Uh, yeah. Northwestern. You're telling me they don't have guys who can catch 11 passes for 300 yards. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. But at the same time, at the same time, Nebraska and Wisconsin are good enough. They're, Nebraska and Wisconsin are good enough that right. if debatable, you, if you watch Saturday's happenings in Minneapolis, but yeah, okay, whatever. I understand uh, what you're saying. They're good enough that if you get them in the wrong position, then what happened on Saturday can happen again. Mm -hmm. And as long if I was not getting two or three turnovers in a game, which again, their defense is capable of doing, I, I'm not preaching to talking to Cyclone fans and we all, we don't want to admit it, but they're actually good at what they do. But when they're not excellent, when they're not a plus plus defense, their offense has been a D minus the whole year. And when their defense gets a C, the, the offense is still a D minus. We haven't improved anything. You, your, your average is still pretty bad. So yeah, it, it was from again, the, the logical, the logical brain in me wants Iowa to do well because it looks better for Iowa state, but the emotional part of me is really happy with what happened. Uh, yeah. Shout out to the guy who showed up to Kinnick stadium, wearing his Purdue, uh, sport coat and his train engine hat. Uh, I hope he that he had a day. phenomenal night on the ped mall Saturday night. He had a good day. Yeah. He, he had a good day. I tweeted it out. I was like, this guy was ready to be the saddest nerd in the state of Iowa. <laughs> and instead he's going to be the happiest nerd in the state of Iowa. And I'm happy for him. <laughs> Oh man. That takes some serious, takes some serious courage to walk into Kinnick and that. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, all right. The other one that I wanted to ask you about Tennessee Ole Miss, the wackiness of Tennessee Ole Miss, uh, as a player, a former player, what was your reaction to seeing the garbage thrown on the field? Uh, and just the general reaction of fans in that game. And one of, I mean, probably one of the most despicable things I've seen in college football. And I mean, it's just in my entire life, it would be up there. I would think, I don't know how you come back out and want to play. Yeah. Again, I don't, and it was a close game. Like they had an opportunity to win the game. I do. I don't, I don't know how you, how you come back out and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go run full speed into another human being that's running full speed because I want to, you know, I, I pride in myself. I have pride in this team. And that's about where it stops because at that point, the rest of the community is not something you really want to like go out and jump in front of a train for that. That was hard. It's hard to see. And it's hard to get yourself around the fact that that's not a, I mean, that, that the people in the stands are not a hundred percent with you. Yeah. And it's like, it, I don't think anybody sat here and thought that Tennessee was the classiest fan base to begin with, but man, that I had not seen, I don't know if I'd ever seen anything like that. And for it to stop the game for almost half an hour, like it did, I'd just be pissed. Like, dude, like you guys are screwing us right now in a mm -hmm. game that we still have an opportunity to win. Like, and you're making us look ridiculous, you yeah. know? And man, shout out to Lane Kiffin, dude. Like that man was having golf balls pelted at him, all this kind of stuff. And who still golf balls into the stadium. No, the best one who brings a bottle of mustard into the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Is it premeditated? Do people bring like, what can I, 
if in the off chance we have to throw something on the field, what can I bring to throw on the field? Uh, I did see someone say that the mustard was probably used as a flask, but then I asked the question of like, is that not, is that not weirder that if you got caught with the <laughs> bottle of mustard that someone is like, yo, why do you have a bottle of mustard? Like you might as well just carry a normal last flask at that point. Right. Yeah. No, it, I, it's, it, is it your emotional support mustard? <laughs> well, they're going to have some serious anxiety this week. Now that their mustard just got scooped up on the field at Neyland stadium. You, you're walking into the stadium just with a jar of mustard. Do you, you know what I, the, the mustard that comes from the pumps when I buy a hot dog at Neyland stadium, it's not good enough. I like to bring my own mustard. This mustard is far superior to your mustard. There were two truly iconic things that Layton Kiffin did in the, aftermath of this game one was leaving the field surrounded by police officers surrounded i mean for obvious reasons i don't think they like lane kiffin very much in knoxville for understandable reasons uh maybe not to this level but understandable that they're not a huge fan and when someone chucked a water bottle at him the man while all of the police officers that are surrounding him hit the deck like as if there's just been uh, a grenade thrown onto the field and the man throws his hand up in the air and Odell Beckham's the bottle of water and throws it in his pocket. And then he's walking in the tunnel, takes his visor off and chucks it up into the crowd to the fan who chucked the bottle of water at him. Iconic. Well done. An well absolutely done. iconic moment. And then an all time great quote where he said that people were throwing bottles of Brown stuff at him. And he's like, I don't know what it was. I don't think it was moonshine because I don't think they would waste their moonshine on me. <laughs> oh, man. That's a line. That's yeah. a line. Lane Kiffin. Say what you want about his coaching ability. He's got some good one-liners. Oh, yeah. Dude, like Lane Kiffin, if nothing else, Lane Kiffin is super entertaining. Like, the guy can coach, but, man, he is just – he's fun just for the fact that he's just a – a character, if nothing else. Um, all right. Oklahoma state and Texas, another crazy game, uh, Texas with another disastrous fourth quarter collapse in that one. Uh, man, I, I think that there was a point when I saw the Longhorns had one yard of total offense in the fourth quarter. I don't know what they ended up with overall, but, uh, dude, just like, I don't know what the morale is like for Sark and company there in Austin, but it has to be at an all time low at this point. Well, and, that, Meanwhile, Tom Herman's in Chicago laughing his ass off. That, uh, that second half, it's, it's one of those things where against Oklahoma, it happens. And you go, okay, one, one is an instance. Whatever happens, one is an instance. It doesn't really matter. Two is a coincidence. But when you're putting together three consecutive quarters – Cause it was the third quarter against Oklahoma or against uh yeah, third quarter against Oklahoma, fourth quarter against Oklahoma. And now the, the, the fourth quarter against Oklahoma state, you got three back-to-back -back closing game quarters that have been absolutely terrible. And I think what, what I would say is, is happening is the same thing. And I'm going to parlay this into the, the, probably the, the other game that you might bring up is the Oklahoma TCU game with Caleb Williams tearing it up. We talked in the first, and we, the, the question was, who's the big 12 quarterback of the year. And before this game, we said, man, probably Casey Thompson. Well, Casey Thompson doesn't have, didn't have game film. He did, He just didn't. He, he first time he came in, I think was the back half of the Arkansas game. So he had like two or three games where no one knew what he was, what he liked, what he didn't like, whatever. Well, Oklahoma had some idea. Alex Grinch then had some idea of what he liked, but still didn't have it to a full effect until the first half. 
And then he said, this is exactly what's going on. So this is exactly what he doesn't want to do. And the second half of the Oklahoma game, they turned it on. Well, the whole game, he wasn't, B. John Robinson was the, the entire offense for Texas. So he wasn't good the whole game, pretty much the whole game against Oklahoma state, because that now there's game film. There are four games where he's been the quarterback. It's going to say, I really like cover two. I don't like cover three. He's bad rolling to his right. He bails if there's pressure in his face, whatever. So whatever thing is going on. Well, now you got game film. He's going to have to go play the rest of the games of the season. Now with teams knowing what he doesn't like to do. Let's go to Caleb Williams for a second. This seemed pretty familiar. This trend seemed pretty familiar. Casey Thompson starts the year, drops 70 on Texas tech because no one has any game film. They don't know what he's doing. They don't know what he likes. Then all of a sudden, as the season goes along, still good, still good. Then you get game film on him. It starts to go down. And then you get a Oklahoma state against a capable defense with game film. Oh, now you show what now you really got to be good. You really have to show what you got in order to keep that level of quality. Caleb Williams, no one has game film on Caleb Williams. And I will continue to say this, whatever outlets that I have, He's a good, really good player. Obviously Lincoln Riley is the best quarterbacks coach probably in the country, but at some point, two to four games from now down, down the road, when you get defenses that have schemes that have game film on him, it's going to slow down. There are going to be games that happen like this that show what he's actually made of. Where are the things that he doesn't like to do? And let's make him just do that. So I, I am not, I'm, I'm high on Caleb Williams for the next two weeks. This is a, at least two weeks. And after that, we'll see, but come middle early part of November, you get November 7th, 12th, somewhere in there. That's when you're going to have enough game film to actually put together a reel to say, this is what he needs to do. So yeah, Oklahoma state is who we think they are a capable, but inconsistent offense and a really good defense. That's what Oklahoma state is and has been for the last little bit. That's why the two October losses that Iowa state has the two Brocktober losses are both to Oklahoma state. Uh, that's who Oklahoma state. We, they didn't surprise. They didn't make anybody. If you've watched the, the, the conference, they're, they're not surprising anybody. The fact that Texas has come back to earth because Casey Thompson has game film. Now that is the thing that is the biggest note from that game. All right. What are your thoughts going into Saturday? Uh, this is a team you haven't beaten two years. Were you surprised they, to see Iowa state six and a half point favorites? No. Nope. Just because of the way they played again, you look at act, you look who, who is ranking them poorly are random uh, reporters across the country and sports information directors that are filling it out on behalf of the coaches that are not necessarily ranking. Cause they just, again, no one that those two populations do not have time nor the financial incentive to actually do, spend time looking at this, the teams that the groups that do have a financial incentive to look at the quality of teams are the people that are setting the bets. Or the, the, you need to draw action based on what the team, the act, the outcomes actually going to be. So they're going to look hard at who each team is. The fact that Iowa state is a six and a half point favorite is not really that surprising. The only surprise would maybe be again, that you haven't gotten them in the past couple or the past two years, but Chuba Hubbard's not there. Tyler Wallace isn't there. Spencer Sanders is, is good. But I, I saw that Jesse Palmer brought this up. He has more turnovers since 2019 than any other player in college football is like 31 turnovers in the, in two and a half years, no one else is, is in that stratosphere. So what you're looking at, what I'm looking at for Saturday is 
to play a game that is complimentary like they did on Saturday. It's going to be harder to do against this defense, but Case or Skylar Thompson for Kansas State is a more consistent quarterback than Spencer Sanders is, but Spencer Sanders is a little bit more explosive. So when you get the opportunities of a bad throw or booting out or the balls on the ground or something, you take advantage of that and make it so that he becomes even more desperate to score, which pushes him into worse decisions and worse decisions. So it's play complimentary, consistent offensive football, run the ball, convert on third down, do that kind of unsexy stuff on offense. And then when there are opportunities on defense, which are likely going to happen, is take advantage of them. For sure. Uh, man, this would be a huge one. I think if Iowa State can win this one, you know, you and I were texting yesterday. At that point, they have to be the favorite to play Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Yeah. If they beat Oklahoma State here, the only other person that the only other team is uh, Baylor. Baylor, depending on what they do, because they would kind of have a tie break. Uh, but they've but, got to play everybody still. Yeah. They've, they've only played Iowa state as far as those, that top gone, they still have Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state left. Uh, Iowa state, if they get through, if they get, if they beat Oklahoma state, they get Texas at home and then they get Oklahoma down the road with Casey Will- or with, uh, with Caleb, uh, Williams. Caleb Williams having game film on, like you talked about before, that's a different game. It's a different season. And especially with what would be on the line at that game, by the time you get there, I don't know. I, whether or not the national press feels that way, Iowa state's probably in most big 12 coaching circles, a team that or in most big 12 coaching offices or whatever you want to call it. It's not a team that you want to encounter and they've got to be someone that you look at for what's going to be happening for the rest of the year. Absolutely. All right, Jeff, we'll talk to you again on the tailgate show on Saturday and we'll talk to everybody again throughout the week uh, here on Cyclone Fanatic on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. Have a great week. Peace.